are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I want to ask you a question today. What are you doing here? Ever been asked that question? What are you doing here? I want to look at this question as my subject this morning and just ask us that question. What are you doing here? I'm sure you've heard, if you've been around church any length of time, you've heard about Elijah. And Elijah is a great character in Scripture. If there was a Mount Rushmore of biblical characters, I think Elijah would make the list. He is a superhero of Scripture. Many miracles attributed to this great prophet. He shut up the heavens, causing a drought. He was fed by ravens. He multiplied flour and oil for a widow. He raised the widow's son from the dead, brought rain to end the drought. He destroyed 51 soldiers with fire and lightning. Then he destroyed another 51 soldiers with fire and lightning. He parted the waters of the Jordan. This was a powerful prophet. And if that wasn't amazing enough, he was caught up by a chariot and fire of fire with horses of fire that separated the two, and Elijah was caught up into heaven by a whirlwind. That's an amazing person. And if his prominence in Scripture seemed to be lost in the Old Testament, he is even found in the New Testament. Scripture tells us in Matthew that after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brethren, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with Jesus as a powerful prophet. While we see Elijah as a superhero in Scripture, there is a particular story about Elijah that I think we may be able to identify with. I'm not saying that I'm not going to be caught up in a chariot and fire. Could happen. I don't quite identify with that. I don't think I identify with being on the mountain with Moses and Jesus. Not at this time. But during the time of Elijah, the king of Israel was Ahab. And historically, most of the kings who ruled the state of the ten tribes, so the tribes, uh, Israel split into two 
really nations, Israel and Judah. And so Ahab was the king of Israel, the ten tribes. And historically, when they split, most of these kings were awful. They were terrible kings. I think Charles Barkley would say terrible. Um, Ahab, however, took this to an unprecedented low, and the Bible says that he was the worst of these kings. And his behavior certainly was uh, his own, but he was also very heavily influenced by his wicked wife, Jezebel. Anybody ever heard of Jezebel? She was the princess of a neighboring kingdom of Sidon, and she led both her husband and his kingdom into this really thick pagan culture in which she was so immersed in. And upon marrying her, Ahab fell entirely under her spell of influence. And during the period of the first temple, which includes Ahab's reign, so the first temple being Solomon's temple, prophecy was still available and was widespread. And the principal prophet, the main prophet to this wicked king and this wicked queen was Elijah. Elijah undertook the opposition to Ahab and Jezebel, trying to steer this broken ship of Israel. And in view of this terrible conduct by Ahab, Elijah came before the king and swore in the name of God that rain would cease to fall in the entire area. And so this decree would remain in place until he, Elijah, would revoke it. And sure enough, this is what happened. Elijah went into a period of hiding, and as Jezebel was bent on killing him, as well as the other prophets of God, three years passed, and God once again spoke to Elijah. This time, he was to appear again before Ahab in the hope that the time would be right for the harsh decree to be rescinded. And so, through an exchange with another prophet, and you can read this in 1 Kings 18, you can read about Elijah mainly in 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, 20. With this, he meets this prophet Obadiah, and he basically decides to meet up with Ahab. And so, 1 Kings 18, 17, then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab made a really nice greeting, and he says, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? Welcome. I'm good, glad to see you. Thanks for being here. But I, li- I like Elijah. He doesn't really back down in this moment, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed Baal's. So Baal was the pagan gods that they served. And so after this initial sharp exchange between the two, Elijah says that if the king wanted rain to fall, so if you're, you're that desperate for the rain to fall, you need to gather everybody to Mount Carmel. And joining these people together, there were 
not only the children of Israel gathered there, but there were 850 prophets that were summoned. And they were prophets of Baal and Asherah. And so having no choice because he wanted rain to fall, Ahab conceded and he agreed to this proposition. And so there was this gathering on Mount Carmel. And so Elijah speaks with great boldness and asks a challenging question to the people that are gathered there that day. 1 Kings 18, 21, and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, follow him. Is that still a question I think we wrestle with today? Who are we going to follow? But the people answered him, not a word. We're not saying anything. We're just here for the show, Elijah. And so then Elijah sets the rules for the competition. And so he speaks to the prophets and he says, Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves. These are the prophets of Baal. Cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. We're good with this. So the prophets of Baal begin to gather the wood, and they put it on the altar, and then they lay the bull on that altar. They begin to then pray. Pray to the prophet, or pray to Baal, the gods of Baal, and they're praying that this, this Baal, this God, would send down fire. Praying and praying, time passes, they continue to pray. The prayers grow more intense, and now they are chanting, now they are shrieking, now they're crying, and soon they're dancing and jumping up and down around the altar. And still no response from Baal. The heavens are silent. Then we get a small glimpse of the humanity of Elijah. I would add that in the spirit or out of the spirit, I do not know. It's hard to tell whether Elijah is speaking from God's perspective or his own. But the trash talking begins. He stands to one side and watching all this frantic effort begins to offer a sarcastic commentary. He starts saying, shout a little louder. After all, Baal is God, isn't he? Shout a little louder. Perhaps he's off meditating somewhere and you, you got to get his attention. But then he says this. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. See, that's where I'm not sure if God would say that. But he said that. Maybe he's gone to the restroom and he can't hear you. Or maybe he's away on the journey, on a journey. Oh, wait, he says, I know. He must have fallen asleep. You need to wake him up. So as the sun passes, it's high point in the heavens, and the day begins to slip away. The pagan prophets of Baal are now in a frenzy. 
And in a desperation, they start slashing themselves with knives and lances, hoping that the sight of their blood will arouse their God's notice. But there is no answer. And so Elijah, he calls it quits. Enough is enough. Apparently, your God isn't hearing you. So he then attempts to rebuild the altar that was tore down because they had destroyed it, jumping on it. And so he then takes the challenge a step forward and pours water on the altar. Lots of water, lots of water. Builds a trench around the altar, fills the altar with water. And then Elijah prays. Verse 36 of chapter 18, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their their hearts back to you Again. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice. It consumed the wood. It consumed the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. That a powerful story. And you read about then they kill the prophets and they, the rain begins to fall. At this point, you would have thought that this moment on Mount Carmel would have convinced Ahab and Jezebel that God was the one true God as it had come down, as, as he had laid fire to that altar, that they would have realized that The Lord God of Israel was the one true God, but that was not the case. Ahab goes and he tells Jezebel what just happened and that the prophets were killed. In 1 Kings 19.2, it says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them those prophets by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel is ticked off. She's not swayed by the moment. She is just mad, and she wants to kill him. Now, here's where I think that Elijah enters our world. Because Elijah has just experienced an amazing victory. Uh, Really extraordinary, something supernatural he witnessed with his own eyes and he was very much a part of. His prayers brought down heaven, brought down fire from heaven. This is a pretty powerful moment. A moment that today, if it had happened, would have sent Elijah on a book tour. He would have filled stadiums to talk about Mount Carmel. And his Instagram account would have been in the millions overnight. 
However, while Elijah is powerful, it is here in the story of Elijah's life that his humanity is most revealed. When Elijah heard about Jezebel, he did not walk in faith. He did not proclaim the power of God to protect him or destroy her. But here's what Elijah did. And when he saw that, when he realized that the messenger had come and told him, Jezebel's going to kill you. He arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Does that sound like us or what? Just only days after this incredible victory at Mount Carmel, we find an incredible emotional swing by Elijah. And the scripture says, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness And came down and sat under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You see that just in a matter of days, maybe a week, that moment on Mount Carmel is lost. How is this powerful prophet, this one who has seen many miracles, seen all this stuff, come to this point where he doesn't think that God can somehow intervene or doesn't even petition God to intervene on his behalf? He just goes, sits under a tree and just says, well, it's over. How quickly we can forget what God has done in our life. Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal and the fire. Oh, that was so last week. We have these amazing experiences. We have these amazing moments with God in services and in prayer meetings. In Monday, a coworker challenges your faith and you're like, I'm done. I quit. I can't do it. I don't even know if I believe in God. You're in good company. Elijah's your guy. But God does intervene. God doesn't give up on Elijah. And an angel comes and feeds Elijah. He tells him, I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm going to give you enough food because I'm going to take you on a 40-day journey. And so this 40-day journey finds Elijah on top of Mount Horeb. And once he gets to the mountain, he finds a cave and sets up camp. Maybe in his mind, he thought God was hiding him. And here's where I want to get to the crux of my message. 1 Kings chapter 19, 9, and there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and God said to him, What are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? There's this question. God leads. What are you doing here? Now watch carefully at Elijah's reply. So Elijah says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, 
and they seek to take my life. You listen closely. You can hear a small violin playing softly in the background. He is having a pity party. However, watch God's reply. Then God said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire a still small voice. He says to Elijah, basically, I'm not just going to be in the loud, boisterous moments like you have just experienced, but I am also going to be in the gentle nudges of a whisper. But let's go back to the question God asked. What are you doing here? At first glance, this exchange doesn't seem noteworthy. God speaks to Elijah, Elijah answers, God gives direction, Elijah obeys, God shows up. But I think the question God asked Elijah could be quickly overlooked and seem adequately answered by Elijah. See, God asks him, what are you doing here? And Elijah gives his pitiful answer. However, if we carefully look at Elijah's answer we realize he, in fact, doesn't really answer the question. God asked, what are you doing here? Not, how did you get here? Or even, why are you here? Herein we find my point I would like to make for you today. The question that God asked was not looking for an explanation. God's question was asking a question that was asking about what kind of action was being taken. What are you doing here? Not what is the reason or the explanation for what brought you here. I think God was saying, you shouldn't be here without planning to do something. What are you doing here? What is it that you're going to do in this place? I think God was saying you shouldn't be in this place, in this cave, without expecting to do something. If you're going to be here, here should find you doing something. What are you doing here? There's a difference between an explanation and a purpose. And I don't think God was asking Elijah for an explanation for why he was in the cave. I think he was asking him what he was planning to do since he was in the cave. We see this when we see how God responds to Elijah's question or Elijah's uh, statement. He hears Elijah's pity party. And what's the first word? God says back to him, go. You're not here to just waller in self-pity. You're not here to just explain 
why you're, you're, you're here and, and blame this and blame that and blame that. God said, that's fine. You want to have your pity party, you can do that. But God's response to Elijah was not one of sympathy. It wasn't coddling or empathetic in any way. God's response to Elijah was simply go. I think we have our greatest pity parties when we lose sight of purpose. And are you finding purpose in the life that you are living? Most people who tend to complain about the state of their life are not on a path going anywhere or doing anything for God. They're stuck like Elijah under a tree. They are in a cave. And it feels better sometimes to sulk and complain and be bitter and be a victim than to realize who we are actually created to be. We're created for something. We're created to do something. If we're on this earth, we're created to do something for his kingdom. However, what made me really consider this and look at it this way is not just that God asked it while Elijah was in the cave, but after he gave them him that great experience on the mountain with the wind and the earthquake and fire and a whisper, watch the exchange that follows. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He felt the presence of God. And then suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He asked him the same question. It's the same question, different place. He's in the presence of God. He has just experienced the power of God. And God asked him the exact same question. And can you guess what Elijah answered? Strike up the violins. He repeats his same answer. I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, which he wasn't the only one that's left. There are hundreds of prophets that Obadiah had hidden that were serving the Lord, and he knew it, but his pity party wouldn't allow him to admit it. And he said, and they seek to take my life. Same reply. Now, I can relate with that, too. How often does God have to repeat himself in our lives? Because we keep giving the same responses to the questions that God's asking of, it, of us in our lives. God, again, was not asking him for an explanation. God was asking him what action he was planning to take since he was here. What are you doing here? So God's reply, guess what word he starts with? Go. Go. Return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. And also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, and the king of Israel, and Elisha, all those people, 
you shall appoint as prophet in your place. And Elisha, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And I tell somebody today that no matter what state you find yourself in, no matter where here is, God has a purpose for you to accomplish. Each time God asked Elijah the question, what are you doing here? Elijah gave his explanation, but God then gave him his purpose. He simply said, go. There was no sympathy party for Elijah's pity party. It was, I didn't create you to be chased around by the enemy. I created you to actually do something that makes a difference. And that's why Jesus would say to his disciples just before he ascended into heaven, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go, because you're going to find yourself under duress. You're going to find yourself under persecution. You're going to find yourself in a prison. But the command remains, no matter where here is, it's a go mentality. No matter what the, the, the confines of your situation are, no matter how difficult the situation is, no matter what tree or what cave you find yourself in, there is a go answer to your life. So the question is that God keeps asking and wants us to understand is, what are you doing here? What are you doing with the life that I've given you? What are you doing with the talents that I've given you? What are you doing with the anointing I've given you? What are you doing with the spirit that I'm giving you? What are you doing here? Might not seem like you can do much where you are, but God is asking us today, what are we doing here? See, Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessel that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down but not destroyed. Here may look like despair. Here may look like it's a, 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 a perplexing situation, but I'm telling you that if we'll put our trust and our hope and our confidence in God, here doesn't have to be a dead end. Here doesn't have to be the end of the story. Here doesn't have to just be an explanation of all the bad things that have happened in my life, but here can be a starting point 
point where God can say, go, I got more for you. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me make a more specific application today. What are you doing here at the Calvary Church? What are you called to do at the Calvary Church? I must tell you, I do not believe that you are just called to attend services here. I'm glad for everyone who attends. We're thankful for everyone to attend. And we have that little tag that says it's Calvary's a great place to attend, but a better place to belong. And there's a reason for that, because God hasn't just created us to uh, experience services or church, but he's called us into relationship as a body so that we can do something for the kingdom. And so what are you doing here? I know we've been through some rough times, and I know we've walked through some difficult seasons, and you may be You may be under a tree or in a cave right now being chased by an enemy, but we all have something to do here. Next Sunday is Super Team Sunday. Yeah, it's going to be fun. And I have a message that I think the Lord has laid on my heart for that, and I'm excited to preach it. But the question I want to ask you is, what are you doing here? What are you doing? What is your hand being involved in? And we're going to invite you to take a more active role in what's happening at this church. For those of you who are on the mountaintop and you've experienced the power and presence of God, we are familiar with it. God asked the same question of us. What are you doing here? What are you going to do here, that changes the world. See, too often our answers around what has happened to us in life, this person didn't treat me well, this person lied about me, this person cheated on me, this person hates me, I'm messed up, I'm an addict, I'm a fool. I'm telling you today that God wants us reaching for purpose no matter where here is. See, Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. I don't know for those maybe who are here that you feel like you're in a cave. You may feel distant from God. You feel like you're in a place shut away from the church. And it could be a place that is really hidden away and you have kept your distance from God for a reason. But can I first tell you, God is patient to walk with you. Just as he was patient with Elijah, he let him throw his tantrum. He didn't chide him for speaking what he felt. But he also didn't just accept that as the okay answer either. He said, I I, got to go for your life. I've got an action for your life, no matter if you're in the cave or if you're in the presence of the Lord. Would you stand with me today? See, what I understand 
The first thing God did with Elijah, the Elijah was, I would say, distant from God in that moment. He was being obedient, trying his best, but in the cave, he had lost the reality of God's power, and so, and I would submit maybe God's voice. So the first thing God does is invite him to experience his presence. You will never live out your purpose, your full potential and purpose in God without the power and presence of God. Jesus said, you must be born again. Can't live out your purpose on your own. You can't live out your purpose through your human nature. We must repent of our sins. We must be baptized in his name where our sins are forgiven and we take on his name and we enter into a covenant with God where we are his child. And the Bible tells us we need to receive his spirit. We need to receive the reality of what that means. Romans chapter 8, verse 8 says, Then those who are in the flesh or the human nature, those who live by the human nature, cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. The only way you can actually live a fulfilled life of purpose is to have the Spirit of God. And Paul said, I didn't say. He said, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. It's a pretty tough statement, but it, the reality is God's wanting to, you, to empower you to do his work on the earth. And so it requires us to have his Spirit. We realize and we believe here that you receive the Spirit with the evidence by the evidence of speaking in tongues. That's just the, the evidence. It's not that you're seeking tongues, but you're seeking the Spirit. And God chooses to use tongues, uh, uh, speaking in a language you don't understand, as evidence that the Spirit is now dwelling in you. What does it mean? God now controls your life. You're empowered by Him. And so to the Galatians, Paul said, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, I thought about Elijah. And what if, what if God had answered his prayer under the tree? What if God had said, okay, enough's enough. We'll just let you die. There would have been no Elisha. There would have been no great prophet, Elisha, who took Elijah's ministry and did more and greater things. See, I stand here today and I'm looking at my life and I'm thankful for what God has done. But I also realize that I'm thankful for some parents who decided that they weren't just going to give up. 
throw away the towel. I've talked about my dad a lot who walked away from God in his 20s. I don't talk about my mom a lot. She's an amazing lady. But then when she was 18, she had a deep hunger for God, but she was pretty restricted on how much she could talk about it and reach for it. So she would attend church, but she would throw clothes out the window and sneak out of her house to attend church so she could experience the power and presence of God. See, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna, an example of somebody who, I guess, is a recipient of those Elijahs who decided that no matter where here looks like, I, I can still go. No matter what the cave looks like, no matter what the circumstance looks like, I, I, I still have can find purpose in it, no matter how hard it is or difficult it is. And I want to talk to parents who maybe you're a first-generation apostolic, maybe you're a first-generation Christian, that it may seem like it's a, uh, just a treadmill existence, but I'm telling you, your life is making a difference, not just for you, but it's the next generation. Without an Elijah saying, okay, I'll go, and I will anoint Elisha, there would have been no Elisha. And you have such a great opportunity, no matter what here looks like, to do amazing things for God. God is calling us today, calling some of you to step out of the cave and experience his presence When you come to the altar today, we're going to invite everybody to come. But when you come to the altar today, some of you may need to visualize yourself stepping out of a cave, a hidden place. And you're going to say, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do with my life? And those of you who know the presence of God or are familiar with it, I guarantee you that God's speaking to you. I'm so thankful for all of these life, greeter, uh, life group leaders who responded to the call to go. They stepped out in faith. They were challenged, and they said, no, I just can't stay here. There's something God's calling me to. But before we come, I want to invite Before we come, I want to pray, and then I'll invite you to come. But I I wonder if you would just talk to the Lord in this moment and say, God, I know I'm here, but I know there's purpose here. There's something you're calling my life to be and to do. Lord, I pray right now for everyone under the sound of my voice. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, for how you speak to us. And God, sometimes we want to give up. Sometimes we want to throw in the towel. We lose our faith like Elijah. We get discouraged like Elijah. We get depressed just like Elijah. But Lord, you're patient with us. You walk with us. You give us food to eat. You sustain us because you're not done with us. God, and I'm praying that there would be some who respond to the call, Lord, today. 
That when they evaluate where they are and they look at here, Lord, all they can think about is the past. All they can think about are all the things that have happened in the past, but you're not just talking about their past. You're asking them, what are they doing here? What is it that they're going to do for you? God, I thank you for your power and your presence, Lord. I want you to come now. I want you to just step out of your pew. We're going to respond to the Lord. I want you to just talk to the Lord and say, God... I'm here, Lord, to do something for you today. I'm here to accomplish your work. Maybe you want to repent of your sins today. I want to invite you to come. That's like stepping out of the cave and saying, God, I want you to to direct my life. I want you to steer my life. Somebody surrender to his call today. He's got great things planned for you. He's got amazing things planned for you. Oh, God, I pray. I pray right now, God, for everyone, God, that's here today, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. No matter what we've been hiding from, no matter what ways we've been afraid, God, you're patient with us. You accept our pity parties, but Lord, you're not just accepting that we're just supposed to to just remain where we are, but there is a command to go. There's a command that speaks of a destination, a place that you're calling us to. Oh God, I pray we would do your work today. I pray for the Calvary Church this morning. I pray there would be a culture and a a passion, Lord, to do as much as we can do before, Lord, you come or before we leave this earth. God, I'm praying that there would be an anointing that rests on us, Lord. An anointing. God, that has come from past generations that rest on us. Oh, God, I pray. I pray we would respond today. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.